my name is Steve Caldwell and I'd like to welcome you to Here's the Thing, an honest natter about mental health. I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my friend Stephen Henderson. Before we start, we'd like to say neither of us are experts. We just hope to start vital conversations surrounding mental health issues and partner with you, the listener. Whether you're caring for someone who is walking through mental illness or you yourself are going through a difficult season. We'd like to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Brian Close Transport and Top of the Town in Antrim, who've given us all the support we've needed to make this pod possible. We hope wherever you're listening today, that listening to this podcast will remind you that it's more than okay not to be okay, that storms don't last forever, and mental illness won't have the final word in your story. absolutely delighted to welcome you to may's edition of here's the thing and uh, my name is steve caldwell i co-host this podcast with my friend stephen henderson just want to give him a shout out he hasn't said too much in the last um, couple of months on the podcast but he is the brains uh, and the beauty behind this podcast he uh, edits and um posts them and he just does such a brilliant job i just wanted to say before i introduce um this month's guests i'm i'm feeling pretty heavy the last couple of the last couple of weeks there's been stories in the the media i'm sure you've heard in our country of um various people taking their own lives and it just has reminded me again the seriousness of um the discussion of mental health and i my heart's really heavy so it's broken to um a young person and uh an older person I've heard of just this week as we record this, um, the first week in May. So our our thoughts and prayers are with the family um, of those um, individuals, but it just, as I say, reminds me again of the, the necessity and how imperative it is to keep this conversation going. I just want to introduce tonight's, tonight's uh, guests. I'm delighted to have two of my favourite humans from Antrim on the pod tonight, and we are in their house recording live there's fluffy slippers we are on the sofa it's very intimate i have neil and carol buick with me just want to say hi to you guys get yourselves to introduce yourselves to those listening well first of all i just want to say that the the fluffy slippers aren't mine (laughs) i just want to reiterate that so just before we go any further um my name is neil buick and i'm 52 and I come from Antrim. I've lived in Antrim all my life. And I'm married to the lovely Carl. And we have one son, uh, one child, Max. And he'll be nine in July. I'm Carl Buick. And I originally came from kind of Ballymena direction. But now live up in Antrim. I met Neil um, ages ago. We're now married. And I also, Max is obviously mine too. <laughs> and that's it. Guys, just want to hit you with some random questions just so the listeners can get to know you. Um, if I were to give you £100 right now and say you can go out for dinner anywhere you want in the province tomorrow night on me, I'm going to ask you, Carl, first. Cause where, would, where would you go? I would go straight to Sleepy Hollow. What would you order? Ooh, probably something that was chilli-based. And yourself, Neil? 
and I would probably go to Sleepy Hollow as well. And I'm not sure what I would order for my first course or middle course, but I would definitely have creme brulee for my dessert. Gonna play a wee bit of uh, his and hers here, just uh, Mr. and Mrs. Right. So, Carl, I'll ask you a question, and you ask, you answer on behalf of Neil. Okay. It's money related again as well, but if I gave Neil five hundred pounds and said he could go to one shop in Northern Ireland and spend it on what? We'll ask Neil in a minute what his answer is, but what would you say is his answer to that question? I would say probably the Liverpool shop, and it would be something Liverpoolish. Yeah. Tops, and and they would probably be about five hundred pounds. These days, you wouldn't get too much, but no, yes, exactly, Neil. Well, this is really easy for me. I would, uh, without a doubt, uh, tell you that Carl would go to Margaret Forbes Jewelers in Belfast and she would have no problem spending her £500. Wow. Is that true, Carl? Yes. Neil, we've discussed football a bit. Can you tell us a wee bit about who you support, who you love, what what the dream has been and what the dream will be in the future for the teams you support? Well, I have supported Liverpool uh, Football Club all my life since I was um, about seven years of age. Um, my first dream come true was um, the 1978 European Cup final. It's one of my first memories. I remember the 77 European Cup final that they won 3-1, but I really remember the 78 Cup final at Wembley. And Kenny de Gleish, who had just signed from Celtic uh, that previous, uh, previous summer. Uh, scored the winning goal and uh, I just completely fell in love with him that night and um, I remember then we were lucky to get to the 1981 European Cup final and win it as well and then the 84 European Cup final and I remember it went to penalties uh, against Roma and I remember being so nervous Uh, it was on TV it was live on TV back in those days uh, strangely enough and I remember being so nervous that I couldn't watch the penalties I had to actually go out into my dad's car and listen to the penalties on the radio, um, and thankfully they they won won the European Cup that night as well with a, a, an Alan Kennedy um, winner who actually scored the winning goal in the eighty one European Cup final as well. Um, but the dream the dream was for me the pinnacle was uh, win the Premiership. Um, just amazing, amazing, just an amazing night, and uh, one that I'll never forget. Do you remember that horrible joke United fans used to say all the time? Neil used to say, "What well, was the only ship that never docked in Liverpool? The Premiership." Uh, remember, I remember, used to hate re- that. Can re- I just say to any United fans listening, like I may have just like laughed it off, but that made me viciously angry. That joke. Well, the the, the ship the ship sailed up the Mersey that night, and I was I was actually <laughs> on board, or I felt I was on board, and it was amazing. And actually, just a wee footnote, um, I always said, and I said it for years, if Liverpool ever won the the Premier trophy of the Premier League I would get a, a tattoo um, and within about four weeks of winning the Premier League trophy I was down getting my tattoo. Guys we'll uh, if, the, if they're suitable we'll post a photo of the tattoo on the pod um, probably later in the month. Carol for all the partners listening that have a partner who's obsessed with football where do you stand on the i hate football i am a sympathizer i secretly support liverpool as well where, where are you on the scale i couldn't care less i couldn't care less and when liverpool's on Neil, if he's in the house max and i head out we just go out while they're playing 
and usually Neil goes out into the garden and something gets cleaned or cut or he's always has to keep busy and it's on full blast in every radio in this house but we usually just get offside and go elsewhere. I remember from my BB days, and we'll get to this later on, but I remember Neil telling me like he found it quite hard to watch Liverpool live. He preferred to listen on the radio. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy supports Liverpool to a level. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I can watch them fine, but I just remember Neil saying like it really made him anxious watching them on TV. Yeah, like 20 odd years later, I must admit, I do. I have it on my phone that I know when the score. So I know if it's going to be a great form or bad form. So Absolutely. we know what to be prepared for. And that's for. the only reason that you have it, rather yeah, than the only a reason. desire oh, for the club. No, couldn't care less. Carl, just a question for you. Do you, do you see any sort of merit for, a, a, I don't know, an Antrim Reds podcast with me and Neil um, host in the future? Would I don't you? think you'd have many well, people listening, but sure. <laughs> me and Neil. You know, just the two <laughs> sitting with microphones with no plugged in, Jonathan. <laughs> Let me ask the next question, uh, Neil. This is a question about Carl. So last month's podcast was about self-care. Just the idea that loving yourself, doing things you enjoy to fill up your own bucket. Tell me some of the stuff that Carol, what would be Carol's go-to when it comes to self-care? If she wants to go and enjoy herself, if she has a clean slate, a bit like you have maybe for the next 24 hours, you're telling me the young gentleman is away. What what does Carol love to do? Well, unfortunately, since Max was really born, um, Carl has kind of maybe lost herself a little bit. and, and has forgotten, um, especially since COVID. Maybe maybe before COVID it wasn't as bad, but certainly from COVID she nearly has forgotten what it was like to, to go and take time out and take time away. Um, but she's sort of capturing that back again, thankfully, and uh, she is starting to enjoy a wee bit more uh, free time and trying to get away from, from me and Max, which is very important. Um, Carl likes to, to go to the cinema. She likes to just go and sit and have a coffee. She likes to go and visit her friends. Um, she just, there's many things she likes to do, just simple things, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, really simple things. And uh, thankfully, she's just capturing a wee bit of that back again, which is so important. Carl, I just started working the cinema and get two free tickets a week. The only issue is I have to be there if Neil's okay with me borrowing you days. and there's a film yeah. you want to see you'll save yourself a few Absolutely. quid just saying just let me know. that invite isn't out, out there to everyone just you <laughs> same, I have absolutely no problem with that same question for you Carl what 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 makes Neil come alive what what whenever he's free does he like to do to unwind to love himself to care for himself well Neil's um go-to things would be gym on a Tuesday and a, on a Thursday and then a Saturday morning so he just loves that. Um, he can go out of this house like a completely different person and come back a completely different person just from getting that physical activity and around friends that he really gets on with and going to journey. That's the, the big thing. He just gets so much from that. And also out in the garden. That's what he loves. Just those three things, I would say, be, would be Neil's top things to do. So just give him an, a just relax and just be him. I think there's there's a lot of people that'll be listening tonight that maybe don't know your story. You guys have a story to tell. We, we all have a story to tell, but you guys in particular have had your own mountain to climb as a family in the last number of years. <coughs> I want to say as well, during that time, 
you guys have had time to care for me and encourage me and text me and on my own mental health journey. So I, I just think you guys are incredible. And I'm really delighted that we can have a platform to share your story. I don't I don't want to start by asking any questions about your story. You can start where you want to, but you've you've had your own mountain to climb in the last number of years. Things have been really difficult. Can you start where you want to start with your story? Yeah, I I just I well, Neil and I very briefly, I'll keep this brief, but we met in two thousand no, 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 before that, 2000, year 2000, yeah. And we got married in 2001, and family was always a thing that we thought was just going to be a thing that would happen, and it didn't. And we went through just, in the first probably three years of marriage, kind of like our initial stages of even going down through the the route of IVF and all, and that just wasn't for us, uh, it wasn't for me anyway, and it definitely, Neil agreed, wasn't for him. And we just left it there and thought nothing more about it and it was uh, the biggest difficult place I found was church because you're just surrounded by families and people having babies and when you get married the first thing people ask you are when you're having your family and it just wasn't for us it just didn't happen and then I just was feeling very unwell like 13 years later feeling very unwell and thought to myself I'm diabetic and I thought it's something to do with my diabetes and I went to the doctors and all of a sudden um after they talked about tests and I said like tests for what and they said pregnancy tests and I was like like tear on but you're wasting your time kind of thing and I found out it was nine and a half weeks pregnant in the early pregnancy unit up at Antlermeria and that in itself like Neil was at work and I said come up the road but don't rush it's probably nothing so Neil didn't rush and they eventually arrived and we found out that we were nine and a half weeks pregnant and that was like I don't think we ever really got our heads around that fact for a very long time. Showed mum and dad, we went out to tell them and showed them the photo and they thought the dog was having pups because that's how much people didn't really think it was going to happen. And then we t- found out at 20 weeks that there was going to be major problems and we found that out at the scan and then we went to see privately somebody just to make sure because they said it would be a long wait for the Royal and then we found out that Max was going to have a real bad heart issue and probably not survive birth so pregnancy really wasn't a pregnancy of buying anything because we didn't buy anything nothing at all and then Max um, we were told the date we were going in to get started and all of that but we had really in our minds a funeral planned and just like who would speak at the funeral would it just be family would it be a bigger funeral but all of that in our heads sorted and then Max was born we were told that we couldn't, like, we wouldn't be able to hold him. We might get to see him. We might not. And he was well past us and on out the door. And Neil and him, he was taken to intensive care. And Neil and him, the first phone, or Dr. Casey, our consultant, came around to say, there's actually nothing we really can do. We're kind of going to make him comfortable. And then they came back to say a surgeon in London was willing to kind of take him across and have a go at helping him. So Neil, I couldn't go out. I had a cesarean, so 18 staples. But Neil and Max went the day he was born and he was operated on that day over in London. Neil, can I can I just bring you in at this point, back up slightly. Can you very quickly just summarise what Carol said back to when you found out when you found out things were going to be maybe difficult or complicated, what was going on in your head in so, those months? So, <coughs> so going back to the, 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 the day uh, that, that we found out and Carl asked me to drive home or drive up the road but come 
don't don't drive like a maniac, come slowly, which I did. I met her at the door and she says, what kept you? And I'm going, you told me to drive slow. And that was quite funny. And she says, Neil, we're pregnant. And I goes, I don't believe you. And we went back into the, to the wee room and, and the girl put the scanner, the scanner back onto Carl and saw this wee tiny thing on the screen. And honestly, I nearly fell off the chair. I couldn't believe what was happening, to be honest with you. And we were meeting our good friends that night, and it was round about Christmas time, and we were meeting Colin, Colin, Colin McKnight and Louise, and we were going to Belfast to the Christmas market. And I think the two of us just, I just remember floating around the market, not even walking around the market in a daze um, at that. But anyway, fast forward to, to then Max being born, and um, him and I having to travel to London. Um, Carl obviously had to stay back, because she had had a cesarean, and uh, so Max and I travelled um, that evening. Um, so um, it was it, it had been up to that point a long day anyway. But um, we we arrived in London, and thankfully Carl has two sisters who live one quite close to London and the other in Cambridge. And uh, the the youngest sister Melody, who lives t- closer closer to London, met me at the Evelina. Now we we had to the times were we were so delayed. Uh, in leaving uh, Belfast that we didn't get there to well after midnight and we had to fly actually into Oxford which was quite a bit away from from the centre of London but we got through London anyway and we it was about 2am before we were meeting Melody and um, got into the Avelina Children's Hospital which seemed absolutely humongous at the time um, but it was great just to see to see my sister-in-law and um, we went up into the ward and Max Obviously, he was he was transported up to the ward, and then we went up. And uh, before you knew it, there was a there was a, a a thing on the screen, the scan of his heart, and couldn't believe that that, that that um you know everything was happening so quickly. So we eventually uh, left, and we stayed in the hospital that night, and the, um we stayed in the Avelina, and we got a f- I think we got a few hours sleep, and then we were up the next morning uh, to meet the the surgeon who was going to be doing the surgery. Um, and he was from Korean actually, uh, Connell Austin, and I think that f- you know, just a, a doctor talking with the same voice was was just it was incredible, just for for a comfort almost, um, that you had this this man from from Northern Ireland that kind of understood our humour a wee bit as well, and we chatted through things, and um, he chatted through things with with Melody and I, and I was kind of still in a bit of a daze, but. Um, didn't really fully understand what he was saying, but anyway, um, they wheeled Max down to the, to the to the operating theatre, um, and and that was that. Um, then we met Carl's other sister came down, so th- that was Joy. Uh, she was with us as well. So the two sisters and me, and we went off and we had maybe something to eat, and we spent the next few hours just. Just talking and chatting and, and and really you know not knowing what was gonna what was gonna happen. So um, I think Max was maybe in surgery for maybe eight or nine hours, um, and it probably seemed like like three weeks to be honest with you. It was just it was it seemed it was just so long. But when he came back up into the ward, there was this I was going to say tiny baby, but he actually wasn't a tiny baby. He was he was quite a big boy, uh, you know, lying in bed and just wired up to everything monitors, um. Massive scar, obviously, and it was just like surreal. It was just like, you know, and Carl wasn't with me, so all of that was going on as well. And but I just remember the nurse that we had, 
um, and her name was Jane, and she was just the most amazing girl. Um, and Carl, unfortunately, never really got to meet her. Um, but Jane looked after Max for the first for the first three days, and um, she just she just talked us through. And the girls, obviously, being a little bit more educated than me, were all over the monitors, and you understood the monitors right away and what they meant and what everything was for. I never looked at the monitors, not once did I look at the monitors. Couldn't have cared less about the monitors. I just kept focusing kept my focus on Max and talking to him and, and chatting to him and, and, and all of that. But um <coughs> I remember on the Friday, um so this was uh this was the day after surgery, um Doctor Joe, she was an, she was a girl from the south of Ireland, came and and sat beside me. Now Carla was due in uh to to she was due into to the Evelina about maybe tea time. So this is about maybe half an hour, 45 minutes before Carl was due to arrive with us. Joe sat down beside me, Dr. Joe sat down beside me and uh, started to explain that things weren't good and that Max wouldn't, wasn't, wasn't going to survive. And um, I, I was a bit taken aback, but um, I says, Joe, like my wife's due here like within the next half an hour and you're telling me this now. and I said, I'm going to have to, that's the first thing I'm going to have to tell her. I, I said, I don't think I have the, the actual mental capacity to do that. I don't have the words to tell my wife that our child's not going to do and is going to pass away. I said, so you're going to have to come back and you're going to have to tell us the exact same story again, and uh, which she did. And uh, so that wasn't a very nice welcome for Carl. Max kept fighting and kept and kept um, hanging in, and uh, Jane kept working with them. And we got to we got to we got to Friday night, and we got to Saturday morning, and we got to Saturday afternoon. And we were living honestly, we were literally living, not even hour by hour. We were sort of kind of living minute by minute, and um, Max just kept responding, and um, that, that was just that was just it. Carl, well, can I just ask you before you before you um tell us any more of the story? So just to recap, you guys have been waiting for so long. One day you discover you're pregnant. Then you find out there's gonna be complications. Then your miracle boy's born. Then your husband and your son are over in London and you have to wait. What's going on in your head? How are you I mean, I'm listening, I'm thinking, how's Carol on the other end? Probably felt like the other end of the planet. Getting through minute by minute, what's going on in your world? To tell you almost the truth, and I, we laugh about this sometimes, I was having tea and toast in the Royal. <laughs> Quite frankly, I was, honestly, yes, your mind was in London, of course it was, and they were back and forth in mobiles. I was in a sideboard by myself with a magazine and tea and coffee. Because I think for me, the whole thing was so unreal. Being pregnant, having a baby, was like, I protect myself by thinking the worst. So Max was never going to survive. So to me, it all ended when he was born, mentally for me. But he continued to live. And Neil and him were in London. I was kind of, I feel now when I look back on it, completely disconnected. So when they said to me, he was born on the Wednesday, and they said to me, you're going to go to London on a Thursday. And I said, how can I go to London on a Thursday? 18 staples, there's no way I can go to London. So they booked the flights for Friday. 
And then the Friday morning, I thought, I need to take a sharp moment daddy packed for me. By the way, you've never seen a bad case in all your life like it. It was just anything that they could find in this house went into a case. And I, I was in the, sh I remember going to the shower and the nurse said to me, do you want me to come with me? And I said, no. And I remember staples floating down the bath from my scar or from my wound and thinking, how am I going to make this flight? And again, you were just, you were thinking, I'll never have to make this flight because Max maybe won't survive. But I did, dad was my chaperone because I had to go with someone. So I remember going to the airport and that flight was like, it was very uncomfortable. And the taxi waiting at the far side, that journey, I said to the taxi man, please try and go like as slow as you can and try not to hit potholes. He went at like 110 mile an hour and hit every pothole on the way from there to London. But got there, Joy and Melody and Neil were there. And then that was the start of kind of like long sits beside a bed. And also I had to be looked after too. My scar had to be looked after and all of that. So it was caring for me. It was very traumatic, I think, for dad more than anything because like he was looking out for us all he stayed with us for two weeks before he went back home and that was long for him that was really long for him i think i'm i'm waiting for the next installment of the story i'm going to ask neil neil um the last time you spoke i'm sure the listeners are waiting to okay so you said the young man kept fighting can you take us on in the story so you were expecting bad news but he kept pulling through another day so what happened after that I just remember one day, well, when Carl arrived, obviously it was a massive, it had to have been a massive shock for her. I had, I had got used to the, to the tubes and the wires and the, and the, the ventilator and, and everything that was going on around Max. And to be honest with you, the PICU was, was so calm and everything in it was calm. So that probably made me quite calm. Um, so Carl coming, it must have been a massive shock for her to see Max for the first time, because I had seen him without the tubes, you know, up in in Belfast. So, and then I spent those two days, and I'd got used to the tubes, and I was talking to him, and he was kind of responding to my voice. And I remember Carl coming, and being a bit timid about going, maybe going over to even speak to him. And I says, "Max, just talk to him, just, just get close to him, and and just." chat normal just be normal with him and he'll respond and and he did and i remember connell austin coming up the surgeon coming up and again talking to jane and looking at we called him the scores and the doors and looking at the scores and the doors and he said to jane blah 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 all doctor chat and he said how did you do that and i remember jane turning around and saying because i'm good and i thought wow i thought what an answer to, to say to a top surgeon because I'm good she was good and I believe those first two days three days she 100% kept Max alive without a shadow of a doubt so the days the days were long yes the days were long but as we got as we got sort of the day four day five day six you know and then there was there wasn't the same chat about you know, Max not surviving. So we, we, we just we just went with it. And we could do nothing else but go with it. Um, and then I think we got to day nine. And day nine was the first day that uh, Carl was going to get to hold Max. And I remember that happening. And he was still in the ventilator. But I remember them getting him out of bed and Carl getting to hold him for the first time. And the tears were, were unbelievable. But tears of 
sadness, yes, to an extent, but real tears of joy um, that, that he was still with us. And then, I'm not sure how long it was after that, that, that we eventually got him off the ventilator and um, back up onto the, to the ward. But I just remember London was so warm and it was incredibly hot in the, in, in the hospital. And I remember getting up into the ward. So you went from this relative peace uh, or definite peace in PICU uh, up into the ward. It was called the Savannah Ward. And it was like a circus. That's, uh, that's the only way you could describe it. Very family oriented, yes. But I think we were because we were coming from such a, a peaceful situation to, to a noisy ward. And our child really quite sick. We were we we we. It was another situation that we that we we were having to deal with then, on top of everything else. But I think having Carl's sisters there was was unbelievable, unbelievable good for me, but really good for Carl. And we were so blessed in many ways that 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 that's the way it worked out. And um, and and they were able to stay with us most of the time. And they'll they'll never know how much uh we owe to them for 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 being there with us. Um, and, and especially for being with me for the first two days or three days. It was just incredible uh, to have them there. Um, and then eventually I think we got we got back to Belfast, home. But when we talk about home, we talk always back to the Royal in Belfast. And that was that was a massive milestone, massive, huge, to get back to, to, to see Dr. Casey and uh, the team in Belfast. So what happened from Belfast? On, Carol. I remember walking down the corridor and uh, it's called Clark Clinic and I remember thinking like we're home and he was at that stage three weeks old and we got into um, like it was just getting to know the staff there that was all new again but we had known some of the staff we knew the consultant we had known our specialist nurse so we got into bed but we were only there probably be two days dad drove us or drove me Neil, when we go to London we're both there but when we come back Neil goes back to work because Obviously, you know, you have to try and continue with normality or whatever. But I went up. Dad drove me every morning when Max was in hospital and still does. He drives us every time and takes us home. But um, those first two days, I remember walking down the corridor and thinking, this is great just to be somewhere familiar and somewhere where we knew. But that, about, I think it was day three, there was chat about Max getting home and we thought, wow, you know, this is unreal. We're getting home after this length of time. And um, we got off, I think we we're lying here one night about maybe half two in the middle of the night and we got a call from the Royal to say it wasn't good. He had to take a respiratory arrest. He's been fed and then obviously choked on his bottle and then swallowed obviously down into his lungs. So everything dropped very quickly and we rushed up the road and we were brought down onto the ward and our consultant had come in from home. And Max was been wheeled up the corridor to go to intensive care, and it just didn't look good. They were kind of warning us that this didn't look good, and so we slept in the hospital overnight because of emergency rooms there to sleep overnight. And Max was in intensive care, and they were able to bring him around from and sort his lungs out and stuff, and he was back down onto the unit again. But this then happened again. We got we were there one day, and the same thing happened again where he respiratory arrested. And we, we did, they didn't take him to ICU that time because they thought they'll be able to deal with it on the ward. And he got past that. So that, that kind of stopped us from going anywhere. We stayed in the hospital for a long time then just to make sure he was fine. And another day I arrived in one morning and one of the nurses, Nadine, was with him. And I could see the screen because we were so used to screens and numbers. And I could see his heart rate going up to like, it was over 300. And I thought, that's not right. Like, I'm no nurse, but that's not right. And he ended up, they 
crash team arrived, he had his heart rate had gone so fast that then I think they do. Well, I'm not sure because I was asked to kind of, you know, better me going to the visit or the relatives room. And I think they ice him after that because that then slows his body down to get his rhythm back again. And again, it wasn't a good situation, but he turned around from that as well. So everything, it was just traumatic. You just didn't know every time you went to the hospital. Like I was ringing my sister saying, we're losing him today. Like we're going to lose him today. And he turned around and come out from that. I can't remember how long, this is terrible, but how long we were in the hospital till we actually got home to here. It just seems that long ago now that you sort of, you lose track of time. But I don't imagine that we were back in hospital for a, a, a really a long time. I think maybe a few weeks in Clark Clinic. Um, it probably was shorter than you think. Um. I'm thinking maybe two weeks or maybe three weeks maximum. And then we got him home to, to home home. But it wasn't straightforward because when we got just before he came home, he was been tube fed. So I then had to be trained in tube feeding the baby. And to me, that was like, I, I just can't cope with this. So they were sending home the pump feeder, all the pump sets. And I thought, I really can't feed this baby at home. I'm not going to be able to do this. And the day before we were, I talk about being released we were discharged from hospital. He poked his own tube out and they said, well, let's see how he goes without it. We never had to feed at home. We never had to tube feed at home. And he came home and we also had a big, massive screen, like probably a big, maybe 16 inch, 18 inch screen that sat in our front hall. So we had direct contact with the Royal. So every kind of, not day, but every other day initially, they rang us to say, are you ready? And they would have set up, I had a held max in front of the screen and they, would, they were able to see his colour, count his respiratory, all of that there over a, a two-way system, which was amazing because it gave you just that confidence with oxygen at home because we've we've had situations where we've had to use it and where it's hard for it and we've had to do, do 999. But that was all initially at the start, at the very start. Carl, can you tell us, I want to ask you this question because I thought it was very poignant that you said at the start of this journey, you had prepared yourself for the worst. So almost there was that sort of cushion because you had told yourself was was there a moment in the craziness of what's going on right now where you started the sense the tide was turning or were you oh. still preparing yourself for the worst at this point I'm, I'm not joking yeah I've talked about this like recently to friends I would say I would up until like Max is coming nine in July even up till like I would say two years ago I just I prepare myself for the worst that's just how I cope. Everybody has their different ways of coping. But I just prepared mentally for the worst. And then anything better than that is good. But I think even know that we have had a child, because it's been we have no other children to compare it to, this is our normal. So I don't know what it's like to have a typically normal child. But I just I totally protect myself. And protect myself is, you know, it was just easier for me to do that. That's on a bad day. On a good day, then, it's very much God has had a whole list planned from the beginning. Because I always joke with my friends, all my ki friends, kids are all 18, 19, 20. And I said, He, I will end up pregnant at 40. And I was pregnant at 40. And I thought, He, you know, like, you know, more a fun thing. And I was pregnant at 40 while everybody else's kids were wet, you know, growing up and whatever. Let me ask Neil. Neil, who's just bringing in at this point? How were you coping in these days? I want to know whenever you were in London, when you're coming back home, whenever your wife was teaching, your wife was being taught how to tube feed your baby, how were you coping mentally in those days 
in your own brain what was going on? Well, I think, well, I, I, I had, my life was maybe a little bit more normal because I was going to work every day. Um, so seeing probably different people um, and then going up to the hospital straight after work. Um, so my routine was work, hospital, home. And that's, that's just the way it was every day. Um, so maybe that routine for me w- 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 was was just different. Um, how did I cope? Being away from the hospital wasn't good either. So it was a kind of, a, you're sort of between a rock and a hard place where you ha- you felt you had to work to keep your job, obviously, because we needed to, you know, obviously to st- still pay bills. Um, so I was I was sort of caught between a rock and a hard place where I wanted to be at the hospital to support Carl, um, but I had to be at work to support my family financially. Um, so there was lots of things probably going on that I maybe wasn't aware of or maybe didn't understand as well as what Carl did. Um, so I suppose when, when maybe something went wrong, I didn't really look to the doctors or nurses. <laughs> my first look was to my left, to Carl, um, and for her to put it right because uh, she knew exactly how to put, how to put you know, if something did go wrong with his saturations or maybe he wasn't getting enough oxygen, Carl knew exactly what to do, uh, which, was a, which was a real blessing for me. Um, so it, it was it was probably very different for me. Um, being at hospital every day, day in day out, I I don't under underestimate how difficult that would have been for Carl. Um, but she did it. She 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 was incredible, absolutely incredible. And Neil, even in the early days of Max being a toddler, were you sort of mentally where Carl was in terms of preparing yourself for the worst, or were you thinking the tide's turning here that we're maybe going to make it? Where where were you with that? I I think that both of us actually were always prepared for the worst, and we we talked very openly as a couple about if if Max didn't survive, um, because it probably looked more in favour that he wouldn't maybe survive than than than, than it did for him to survive. Because he had big surgeries, he had big hurdles still to overcome. This was just one little hurdle that he he, he had overcome, but he had other massive hurdles after that to overcome. So we we probably thought very much the same. Um, that we sort of were, we we always prepared ourselves, hope for the best, but kind of had it in our minds, preparing for the worst. Because I think you had to. I think I think uh, as as a couple. Um, we we had to be realistic about the whole thing, and um, so I suppose that was a good thing in many ways, uh, and it helped us to cope, um, because they were difficult days. They were they were really difficult days, and you know, we were living a day at a time. We were we were just living basically a day at a time. We look back at, on these on, on it now, and we talk about it openly, and we can talk about it freely. But we think to ourselves, how did we get through those days? The feeding. The, the being home, the washing hands, the scared of them getting infection. Th- those are just small things. I mean, just day-to-day living. I mean, how we coped as a couple, I, 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 I honestly sometimes don't know how we did, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, we have a, a faith in God. The both, both of us have a, a tremendous faith in God, and, and we, we, we know that, that God certainly was keeping us... Was keep was keeping close to us, 
um, and w was in the situation. Um, we can we can say that now with confidence when we look back. But at the time, it, they were, gosh, they were just such difficult days. It was it was incredible. Um, I dreaded feeding time for Carl. Like Max was taking, I think, twenty mils of milk every hour or every hour and a half. And I think by the time we got the twenty mils into him, it was like time to feed him again. And we had to get the fluid in. We had to get the fluid in because he, the system that he had was was called um, a BT shunt, a little a little plastic capsule that took the blood from the heart from his heart to his lungs, um, and it that 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 pathway had to remain open. And the only way that that could remain open was getting fluids into him. So the pressure that Carl was under to get fluids into to, into Max was. I, I just those I just can't describe to you. It was incredible. Carl, can I just ask you? I remember very, very well spending the evening with you guys a couple of years ago, exactly here. So you've got Max home, the new normal for you guys is all that Neil's just described, and then COVID hit. Can you just tell us on top of all these adjustments that were happening in your house, on top of all the cleaning hands and making sure he doesn't pick up any infection, I remember you guys saying it would be dangerous for him to go into a church gathering with all the kids, for example. When COVID hit, that obviously amplified everything. Can you tell us your fears, the adjustments, when the world shut down, what did life look like for you guys as a family then? For us, I must admit, because we Max is turning nine this July, we have always been hand washing, sanitizing, and people used to come into our house when Max was wee and go like. Some people might have been a bit offended that we asked them to sanitize their hands. COVID hit, and we were like, "This is like normal for us. We've done this since Max has been born." But COVID for us was one of the most positive times I would say since Max has been born, because what it did for us was. The three of us were in the house together all the time and no pressures from the outside world. No pressures from like appointments, hospital, um, church, you know, people wanting to visit, wanting us to come and visit them. We had total no pressure and it was lovely. Max, which I thought with his autism, that might not be great for him. He was completely fine. We did a bit of, let's say, loose homeschooling. I'm not quite sure what kind of homeschool, but it was definitely loose. We did that, but we had so much fun. And Neil wasn't at work. So that's the first time ever, like whenever would you get the opportunity to be at home with your partner and with your child with no outside kind of interference? It was, I, I can only speak for me. And I think Neil agrees that he has different thoughts about the work situation. But for us at home here, it was amazing. Like even with Neil being home all the time and Max seeing his daddy all the time, even that was brilliant. Max, kind of, it wasn't just all me. It was a really good, positive experience. Well, well I can say that COVID um, from that point, from that respect was, was one of the best things that ever happened to our family. Um, because it gave me a, a greater and a bigger insight to um, how Max and Carl operated daily. Um, Carl was fortunate, we were fortunate enough that Carl was able to take some time off work uh, to look after Max um, in those first few years, which was, which, which I mean, I would say that if, if Carl hadn't have been able to dedicate that time to Max, 
there's a good chance that possibly he wouldn't be here today. Um, so being at home with a child all day, every day is not an easy job. Um, and one again, I I didn't take for granted. But again, I was at work. Um, so I had a, you know I had a break away from from the, the situation, if you like. Um, but when COVID hit and uh, we went into lockdown and we didn't know what that meant for for us as a family, for Max especially, and maybe how it would affect his health because I think we were all pretty scared. Um, that when I was offered to 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 go off on furlough, um, I I I jumped at it because I just thought it was the safest way to keep our family safe. And I had never been off work in over nearly thirty years of 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 working. Had never been off hardly a day sick. So that was that was massive for me. But actually being at home and getting up and and seeing how Carl and Max functioned on a daily basis um, was good for me, really good for me and good for us as a family. And I praise God and thank him that it brought us actually closer together as a family and, um, and made me probably a better dad, to be perfectly honest. So um, COVID was 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 good for us now there's a flip side to that um when you're off work obviously you know i thought that i'd only be off work for this this will last a few weeks and i'd be back to work so that was the whole of you could say the whole of april may june and there was no sign of me getting back to work at this point and then we were going into july so my biggest fear and I'll, i'll be honest with you was that you know if I don't get back into work, work might just see that they can cope without me type thing. And I'll be honest when I say that. So I wanted back to work, even if it was for a day a week or two days a week, because I knew that the longer I stayed off, the harder it might be to get back in again. Um, and I was I managed to get back in a day a week um, around about July time. And that worked, still worked well for us. <clears throat> And then I think I mean, it was up to two days a week. And then Carl was actually starting back to work part time in the August. So I was at home maybe three days a week and um, working a couple of days. So really, it really suited, it really suited that transition from, from Carl going into work and me being at home and, it, and that whole Max getting used to his mummy working uh, sort of transition. So... Um, COVID really worked well for us, to be honest. So one of my favourite things about you guys is bumping into you randomly, whether it's in one of our favourite coffee shops or down the town somewhere, I always get to hear a wee flavour of um, a Max story, a humorous story. Carl, can you give our listeners a wee flavour of Max's personality? Um, you want to maybe mention going on UTV? You maybe want to mention the fact that we um, skipped the security clearance tonight and didn't get our lanyards, oh. any of that stuff? Give us a wee flavour of his personality, and I'm going to ask Neil the same question in a minute. I don't think there's many people in Antrim don't know Max because he is just Mr. Friendly. He will just go up to people and just introduce himself and start to speak. He wangled himself lush in Belfast. I We come out of there one day and he spotted a lady in a red coat and he charged off down the street after and I thought, where's he heading? And he, she turned around and it was, I knew I recognised her, but I wasn't quite sure. And there it was, Tracy McGee political correspondent for ITV or for UTV 
and Max had a full discussion. I kept saying, Max, you know, leave Tracy alone. You know, she has to get back to work. And she kept saying, no, 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 I want to talk to Max. They swapped phone numbers and I thought, like, we'll probably not hear from her. No, she emailed, she actually rang me to say, could he come in the 21st of December? And we went up. I got my sister was home from England and she was like, I'm not going. I am not going up to UTV. Like, what's this going to be like? But she came because Max wouldn't let her not come. So she came with Neil and I and Max and he spent an hour and a half there, read the full news, did the weather and he had a ball. But he is such a ladies man. We were in Starbucks, his favourite place in Junction 1 and... um, we were standing one morning getting our coffees on a Saturday morning after drumming. And these three girls, probably I would say aged about 25, let's say, came in, all blonde hair. He knew their names, where they were from, where they were going, what they ordered in the coffee shop. And they just thought he was the bee's knees. But the two young fellas beside them, roughly 25 as well, said that Max could teach them so many things about meeting girls. Because Max just, he's just so... And his new best friend's loud in French from country states. Loudon's been, he came out here to the house and he's been back with mugs and different things for Max. Max is now his best mate, like the two of them are now friends. He just knows everybody. Neil, let's hear a few Max stories from your perspective. Max just impacts people um, in a way that I've never seen before. And I mean, I've been in company of, of and I'm not just saying it because he's my son and I love him more than anything. Um, I have some great friends and and know some great people who have who are great impactors of people, but Max just has something about him that people love and it's infectious, and there's nobody really in Antrim, Castle Centre or Junction One or wherever that doesn't know Max and doesn't think that Max is just amazing, and. He's a wee wind-up merchant as well. I mean, I don't think he's really that bothered about football like his mummy. He's not that bothered. But he knows I support Liverpool. He knows I love Liverpool. And he will actually, fans of other football teams, he will actually wind them up about football when he's not really that bothered, to be honest with you. But it's just a bit of crack and he just loves a bit of a bit of fun and a bit of banter and people and for a child that has autism, to get that and to get banter and get and get crack, it just it just makes my heart just it just makes my heart overflow with joy because here here's us with a child that we thought we'd never have initially. First of all, um, to a child that we thought we would lose, to a child now that 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 can do all these things and has defied all the odds against everything. Um and continues to do that on a daily basis. Yes, it's difficult. Um, some days, uh, especially for Carl, you know, I mean, living with a child with with autism and autism, congenital heart disease is a thing that you know keeps Max, you know, it's alive or 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 not. Maybe here, um, if that makes sense, because that's that's the thing that that will maybe take Max's life. But the daily struggle is is living with with Max with with his congenital heart or his um autism. I mean that 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 can be a a, a real struggle at times. Um and folk out there who have children with ASD, 
know what know what I'm talking about. Um, and Carl has become the most patient, um, loving, caring, which always was caring and loving, but patient person that that I know. Um, and Max has given her the gift of patience. Um, well, God ultimately has given her the gift of patience, but through Max. Um, and it's just incredible to watch. And I try to learn from Carl uh, by watching her. Um, and hopefully I do. Sometimes I, I don't get it right, but um, hopefully I get it more right than I do wrong. Um, but it's, it's, it's difficult at times, you know, I'll, I'll be honest when I say that. Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that, the joy brings us and the, and the fun and the, and, the, and the laugh. And when you get them in the right mood or in the right frame of mind, it's just incredible. I wish I, I, wish I had a notebook and a, a pen and a piece of paper because I should write things down or record things because, honestly, it can be so funny. It's incredible. Carl, tell us, um, you very dangerously have given Max access to Amazon. Well, tell us, I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff he's ordered. Tell us um, Max's relationship with Amazon. Well, relationship, I, I, I spotted him tonight um, cloning his iPad to my WhatsApp to see that he could see my messages in WhatsApp. Mummy, you weren't meant to see that. No, I wasn't. He got told off for that. But anyway, Amazon, he has ordered a good £800 worth, 10 separate orders, sofas for Colin Louise McKnight, a new rug for Eve McKnight, um, kettlebells for his daddy, bands, stretch bands, things for the gym for his daddy. There was, and my phone was just going ping, ping, ping. And I thought, right, what's up here? I had to cancel all the orders. And that, now, I thought that was it because there were stern words, all the rest of it. Next time there was a £2,000 screen, a high sense outside screen to put, watch movies outside in your garden ordered. Luckily I got that cancelled too. Lethal. Now he knows now, well, I say that, but he does know now he's not allowed to, but he's lethal. If any new teacher at school, he has them searched on Facebook. He knows who they are, where they're from, who their friends are. And visitor lanyards tonight, we didn't get ours. Will he be cross? I know, that was tonight, that was the whole session tonight off before Granda came for him. There was 10 new yellow visitors lanyards with pockets arriving from Amazon. Amazon said they'd be here between a quarter past five and quarter past eight. They were not here at quarter past five, so Max has given them one star Google review and made a complaint to Amazon about them not being here in time. But they did arrive eventually and he's as way happy as Larry. But you're not allowed into our house unless you've got a yellow visitors lanyard from now on. Let me finish by asking you both uh, the same question. So there's going to be people who are listening tonight, either individually or as a couple or as a family, who are going through the valley. And they're maybe thinking to themselves, I, I, can't, I can't cope, I can't get through this. Can you give us a little small insight into how you'd advise somebody who's just heard your story? And there's been parts where you've both been honest enough to say, like, we, we were preparing ourselves for the worst. What would you say to people who are struggling and thinking, I can't make it through? How could you encourage them that their story's not over? Well, first of all, I'd like to, to, to say that, you know, Max, is, Max has been a, a complete joy um, for us. Um, since he was born, it's been difficult. We've had real difficult days, and there will be difficult days ahead. I think 
out of the two of us, first of all, I'd like to say that I think Carl probably has suffered more just with 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 mental health, yes, but I think Carl has lost her identity. She's a she's a completely different person now to what she was before Max was born. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, and what I mean by that is that Max has really and she's Max's mummy, so that's that, that's the reason why. But Max, with his problems and his his, his congenital heart disease and his autism, um, Carl has put so much all of her time, all of her time into him that she's almost lost the person that she was. Um, but we wouldn't be here as a family tonight. And sitting doing this podcast together, if she hadn't put that time in, and um, but on the flip side of that, she you know she kind of has lost a little bit of or a lot of of who she really is. Um, but hopefully she's 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 getting that back again uh, by getting sort of free nights and and getting free time away. No, I would agree, as in it's taken a lot, that like that's eight years coming up and nine off completely, dedicating my entire life to Max, which made our relationship suffer as well. I think if we had had Max early in our relationship, it would not have been good. But I think that's why God did leave Max till later in our relationship and give us an ill baby because we're older. It's like it definitely, I think that's helped an awful lot. Um, the thing at the minute, like I just getting back to getting a bit of me time, being able to go for coffee, being able to go stand around TK Maxx, being able to go and see friends. I'm definitely trying to get that back. Max with his autism really struggles with me being away, panics an awful lot about mummy not coming back. So there's an awful lot of that we're working with and we're trying. And I've just started about two weeks ago seeing a counsellor, um, with Inspire. And we get that as a service through Children's Heartbeat Trust. I also get it through my work, but I went through Children's Heartbeat Trust and that has really helped see just that talking to a complete stranger. And then I said to the fellow who counsels on Tuesday, he has been able to, as I talk about it, sieve out the crap that I can't figure out in my head. There's so much going on. He has sieved it out and he can pick out the bits that I can kind of work on and make it better for me and kind of sort it because he he explained it as everybody probably knows like you're in a bottle and rather waiting for that bottle to explode and come out and lose the plot completely you have to keep emptying bits of that pressure out by going out for a coffee by going to meet a friend so that never ever gets to the stage where it just bubbles over and that's definitely counselling I have been in counselling like through Max been born quite a few times I just find that I don't wait now till the wheels come off. I try to go before the wheels come off to see my counsellor because it definitely, it helps. For sure it helps. Because I do struggle with, like we don't get to church. I'd say church was maybe my counsellor in the past, but it's not anymore because it's just not, It's you cannot, it's really hard to take Max to church. He finds it very overwhelming, sensory overload, just noise, sounds, everything. He really struggles with that. So church is not an option for us at the minute. That might change. I don't know if it will. But um, 
So it's just getting those places that I can go to to be able to talk to somebody and just get a bit of kind of like a new look at something, let's say, to just sieve out the rubbish and get to what I need to kind of work on and need to change to make it a bit better. And I think that sometimes, you know, in the whole situation, especially the first the first five years that were the, the, the probably the most difficult um, years because Max had, had other problems that came alongside um, his congenital heart disease. Obviously, he had autism. He, he didn't walk until he was maybe three and a half. He, he had speech problems. Um, so all of that, he, he, you know, he, he lots of different physical problems as well, um, which Carl worked day in, day out to, to, to put right. Uh, with with different professionals, but I think we 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 forgot almost Carl and I al- almost forgot how to be a couple, um, but thankfully we, we've sort of kind of recaptured that again, uh, which has been great because it's so important obviously, um, that we don't forget about one another, um, and that we are still we are still married, um, although we're our our, our primary and our main focus is 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 Max, um, but. I would say that for for folk out there who are listening to this, um, who are maybe going through similar situations or are going through something, you know, sort of like us, um, I think it's important to to as a you know do things as a couple. Obviously, yes, but to 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 do things to to not forget that you're a person, um, and you're just not you're just not in charge of 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 this little thing that you have to sort of get out and do things and and you know um go for coffee as carl said me going to the gym um you know spending time with 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 other people and not being you know so, sort of confined to, to home and and hospital situations and and all of that so i think those things are very important and and uh, obviously yes chatting and talking uh, to people is, is very important sorry i'm just gonna just say one thing about people going through what we have been through every heart baby is completely different they've all got different range of things um that are not right but see talking to people other mummies and daddies who have got heart babies that is vital vital i have learned that's vital because they know what you're talking about all our friends have been amazing but talking to people who have actually faced the same things we have faced is enormous and it's the same with autism going to Riverside School, I really didn't think I knew many people with autism. I probably know of, when I'm looking back now, I can probably think there's the odd person who I think now maybe was on the scale. But you see, to talk to other mummies who have got children who are autistic, it's, it's, I can't tell you how important that is because everybody is struggling, really struggling. I've parent, There's parents at school who are really struggling day to day and they don't meet up because special kids that go to school get a bus to school and get a bus home from school so you never get to meet any other parents with special needs kids most schools will meet mummies at the gates of school and you'll get a bit of a chat and you'll get friendly we don't get that opportunity so I have now started since COVID I will take Max to school and from school so I've built up relationships with other mummies and they'll say you know let's go for a coffee we end up sitting for coffee at Junction 1 from half nine in the morning till we pick the kids up at 2.45. And that has been the best. You talk about counselling, that is just amazing because you go away from those coffees thinking, everybody's, there's other people going through what I'm going through. And their child might be completely different, but it's it, that sharing, that peer support 
is massive in both of those things in our lives, heart and autism. Peer support has been the biggest thing for me anyway to help me out big style. I just want to say thank you to Neil and Carl Buick for sharing their story with us tonight. What a powerful reminder. Um, going through adversity, climbing your own mountain, that it's possible to make it through. I want to thank them especially for what they've just shared at the end there. If you're going through a difficult time yourself, please reach out. Please speak to somebody. Please uh, communicate how you're feeling. And in that process, you'll realize that your story's not over. Um, what a powerful reminder of that truth tonight from Neil and Carl. So thank you guys for being on the pod. Um, we look forward to next month's podcast. Thank you.